0: Hi, I'm Darren Peppert. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Welcome into episode 45 of the Leaning into Leadership podcast. A couple of weeks ago, I jumped into a mastermind that's hosted by Teach Better uh, for school administrators, and the conversation we were having focused on actually the use of instructional coaches and their impact on improving instruction. As the conversation progressed, it kind of moved its way into the role the administrator has in the school of being the instructional leader. During that conversation, my guest on today's episode, Dr. Dan Krinas, shared with me a video that he had created on his YouTube channel titled, Administrators Are Not Instructional Leaders. Of course, I immediately took some time, watched that video, reached out to Dan, because honestly, there were two pieces of research that he cited there that I had also cited in my dissertation. And he and I had a great conversation. It led to me writing a blog post he has then talked more about it on his podcast, and we just felt that we had to take the conversation a step further. And that's what we're doing today on episode 45 of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. And let me tell you a little bit more about Dan Krinus before we bring him on. Dan Krinus is an instructional leader. He's a podcast host, an author, and speaker who constantly searches for the most effective ways to advance education and produce high student achievement. Dr. Krynas has worked in education for over 16 years as a school administrator, an instructional coach, intervention specialist, and a classroom teacher, while working in districts in the New York City metro area, in New York, and in Connecticut. Dr. Krynas holds a doctorate degree in leadership and master's degrees in adolescent education and educational leadership. His original research and dissertation is called Transformational Leadership to Inspire Growth Mindset in Classroom Teachers. I'm telling you, this conversation with Dr. Kynos was absolutely phenomenal. It could have gone on for hours, but we made sure it would fit in one episode. And we're going to get to that right after this. Leaders, your educators deserve to have a leader who believes in them, who supports them, and who lifts them up when they're down. Right now, they deserve that reminder that they are traveling their own road to awesome. On that road to awesome, we focus on the things we can control and we let go of the things we can't. On that road to awesome, we rise by lifting others, not by pushing each other down. And on that road to awesome, we change the world one conversation at a time. Leaders, I want to work with your schools. I want to work with you and your educators to lift them up to honor the work they do, and to let them know they are not in this alone. Let's get together. Let's have a conversation. Let's get your teachers back on that road to awesome, to find that love, to find that clarity, and to walk in their purpose. Reach out to us at roadtoawesome.net for your opportunity to bring Road to Awesome to your school. And now, here we go with episode 45 of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast with Dr. Dan Krinus. I will see you on the other side. All right, Dan, welcome into the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, man. Been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, how you doing today?
1: I'm good. Uh, we're recording on a Friday afternoon, so the weekend is here. It's been kind of a long week, and I was just telling you before we hit record, somewhat of a stressful, stressful week uh, at school, but it's over now. We made it through, and it's the weekend, so we're doing all right.
0: Yeah, you know, let's 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 actually go there even before before you do any kind of an introduction. Um, you had mentioned that yeah, you guys were working on a quality review this week, so maybe for those who don't have that type of experience in their school district or in their state, what just in a nutshell, what was that like this week?
1: Well, first off, if you don't know uh, what the quality review process is or what it's like, it's imagine. You know, you're probably an educator if you're listening to this and you know about teacher evaluations. But imagine a similar process only multiplied to evaluate the entire school and many, many uh, aspects of that school. Um, and there were classroom visits involved, there were meetings involved, there were uh, meetings with students, meetings with parents. So, like, they wanted to involve all stakeholders. And um, it's stressful. For teachers and and for staff members, for sure. I don't think the students were too stressed, to be honest with you, uh, which is great. Uh, but for staff, it's really stressful. And um, you know, we could probably go on for hours. And I don't know that that's where we want to head with this yeah. conversation, too, no. about just the the accountability and what I really hate about processes like this is the um, the the compliance that it seems yeah. to assess more than anything, really.
0: Yeah. You know, listen to you describe it, it makes me think uh, back when I was a, a high school principal in Wyoming, um, where our accreditation was done through the North central accreditation pro- process. And very much like that, you have the external review and they're looking at different standards. And, and what you do is you spend six or eight weeks just compiling all of these artifacts. And, you know, really it's just, you're proving what you're already doing. Um, but, and yes, we could chase that, chase that for hours, but that really isn't, what, uh, what you and I plan to talk about today. So just really quick, Dan, for, for the folks who maybe don't know who you are, um, just a real quick bio, uh, who you are, where you're coming from, those types of things.
1: Yeah, sure, thanks. Uh, my name is Dr. Dan Krinas. I am from New Fairfield, Connecticut, and I work in Norwalk, Connecticut as an instructional coach for digital learning. Uh, 17 years now in education, and I've held a lot of different roles from classroom teacher and interventionist, To instructional coach, administrator, back to instructional coach. Um, I I love what I do. And, you know, I I think at this point, um, I I love really pouring into teachers, uh, which is why I really get fired up about coaching and and being an instructional leader. Uh, And then, aside from the work that I do in my district and in my school, uh, I also. Create some content. Uh, I have the Leader of Learning podcast and blog, and lots of different things I do with that brand YouTube channel. Um, but I love doing that too because it allows me to uh, not only give back and support the give back to and support the teachers that I work with in my school, uh, but you know a, a broader, more global audience of educators as well.
0: I think that's wonderful too, and and you know you mentioned your YouTube channel. Um, I've I've watched quite a few of the the videos that you have on there, and obviously you and I know each other uh, in some in some other ways. I think we initially met through Teach Better's uh, Administrator Mastermind, mm-hmm. but and then obviously we got to finally meet in person at the Teach Better Conference back in October of twenty two. Um, let's let, let's touch base first on um, one of your videos that's just gotten a ton of a ton of views. And that's the one where you talk about why you left administration i mean you you just referred to it you were an instructional coach, became an administrator, went back to an instructional coach um not not a normal path, not that that matters I mean anymore, I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything any close to normal but what what was kind of the gist behind that, and kind of what I guess was your thinking there
1: yeah, uh so I guess I'll start by saying that becoming an administrator and in particular an assistant principal was something that I always strived for. Um, after about 15 years or so um, of, of being a teacher and a coach, I, did, I left for an administrative role that was, was actually a lot like coaching, but as an administrator. Um, things were kind of weird with that job and I unfortunately I left that after not even a full year as well. Jumped back into an instructional coaching role and then had the opportunity um, a little over a year ago. So it was prior to the 21-22 school year uh, to leave my district and become an assistant principal at a 6 through 12 middle high school. And uh, there were lots of reasons that led me to only stay in that role for about three months, uh, which I know seems like a very short amount of time. Um, I still maintain that in three months of being an assistant principal at my school and, and former district, I probably saw more than some uh, administrators do in three years. But uh, you know, there were there were a lot of reasons that I'm not going to go into all of them here, just because some were financial sure. and personal, but. Um, the, one of the biggest professional reasons why I chose to go back to the district and the role I was already in, which is the role I'm in now as an instructional coach is because I just felt like, and, and I've told you the story before, but for your listeners and, and viewers, I felt like the odds were stacked against me so hard that I was not going to be able to be the kind of instructional leader that I wanted to be, and that I was kind of used to being, and and you know, quite frankly, not to toot my own horn, starting to I think get really good at being. And so, uh, just to get a little more specific, there, I as an administrator, I didn't have a lot of support. And I don't, I'm not saying this to bash the school or the district, uh, but at the time, uh, so this is just a little more than a year ago now, or, or a little less than a year ago, I should say. Um, we had four uh, counselors, school counselors for the entire building, and they mainly only worked with our high school grades. So we didn't really have counseling support at the middle school level. We only had one full-time school psychologist and I think a couple of part-timers. And so basically everything uh, stemming from you know classroom teacher support, discipline issues, parent phone calls everything came right to administration and as a new as a newcomer to that school and to that position um i just felt like i'm I'm not going to actually be able to really make the kind of impact instructionally speaking that i that i wanted to make and i think maybe there are administrators out there who are okay with that or have kind of just come to accept it uh, but I just I didn't want to come to accept it. Uh, that wasn't really good enough for me, I guess. And so I did. I, I kind of saw a way out, and and that way was going back to something that I really did enjoy doing, and I still do. And so uh, and so I got out and and I went back to it.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think you touched on a couple of really important things there. You know, number number one, focusing on doing something that you truly enjoy. Um, I think I think all of us, when we step into administration, understand there are going to be some pieces that we have to take on that we don't necessarily want to or or, or, are going to enjoy as much. Um, And, you know, certainly when, when you're the new kid on the block in an administrative role for me, my first role as an assistant principal was discipline and attendance. I mean, that was what was next to my title was assistant principal of discipline and attendance which meant it was cookie-cutter discipline constantly. Um, I really had no opportunity to be an instructional leader. But I think I knew that going in with the title. Fortunately, my next assistant principal role, the title behind it was Curriculum, Instruction, and Special Programs, which meant I got to really be the instructional leader. Um, it, it, to me, the, the biggest takeaway from, from what you just talked about goes back to sticking with what you're passionate about and really mm-hmm. With with what the role of the, the administrator really needs to be and should be, and that's helping teachers grow. Um, I mean, for me, as an administrator, I love being able to help teachers grow. As a building level principal, Dan, for me, I loved growing my assistant principals. I loved growing leaders. But that's why I do now what I do. Um, and for you, obviously, it's that love of growing teachers. Um, what what's like maybe the most rewarding part of the process that you go through when you're working with teachers and coaching them to, you know, to grow, to be the best they can be.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I just wanted to touch on one thing that that you were talking about, you know, in terms of growing other leaders too. And and I want to actually give a shout out. I've never done this publicly, but give a shout out to Dr. Edwin Casada, who is the superintendent at the district where I was an assistant principal, because one of the things that really stuck with me that he told us as we, uh, cause we, there were like a cohort of us who were new administrators in the district or new to, uh, principal positions in the district. And, and we went through some training sessions together and the superintendent said, don't forget your number one responsibility is to instruction. And I, I always found that, um, Interesting that he said that because I found it so hard to really focus on that aspect of the job. Um, and, I, and I always felt like that was also kind of the biggest reason why I left, not to, not to joke about it. But um, it was always interesting to me that that really stood out among some of the advice that he gave us. Um, but getting back to your question about supporting teachers, um, I, I, lo- I love seeing teachers grow. Um, you know, you, you and I have talked a little bit about similar paths that we went on in terms of the research that we did for our uh, doctorate work, our dissertations, and, and mine dealt a lot with uh, dealing with and overcoming teacher resistance and what kind of leadership practices will help inspire a growth mindset. And so, you know, a lot of people, can't do what what we do or won't do what we do, which is working with the adults, whether it be school leaders or school teachers, it's not for everyone. It's not easy. Sometimes, and we've heard this before, teachers don't make the best students because they're reluctant or resistant. Many people just want to work with the students in their classrooms, and that's not easy. I've made a shift. You made a shift in your career to not be in the classroom anymore, and it's just, you know, again, like what what you said a few minutes ago, it's just what you're passionate about. I'm passionate about working with those teachers who are reluctant and resistant. Again, it's not for everyone, but I like doing it. And just like classroom teachers, you know, uh, see that spark in a student who is a behavior problem or just didn't really seem engaged or maybe an attendance problem or for some reason you feel like you're not getting through to them and then you finally do and it's really rewarding. For me, I have the same thing when it comes to coaching um, and and whether it was earlier in my career when I was a literacy coach and working with the English, you know, ELA teachers at my school, but especially now because a lot of teachers aren't in love with technology and, and digital learning and they need a lot of help and support when it comes to um, blended learning and finding striking that balance between too much and too little technology. Um, and and I love helping them get there, seeing that spark when something really resonates with them and really trying to, it sounds cliche, but like really actually trying to get them and their students more future ready.
0: Now that's, but that's super powerful, you know, it. I love how you how you kind of touched on that and I actually I want to dive into our dissertations now. I can't believe I just said that out loud, but I actually want to dive into our dissertations um, without boring people too much, right? Well, exactly, yeah, we're not going to read them to you folks. but um, but I, I know we have some crossover in in the studies that we had, even though I focused on principals and and you you focused on reluctant teachers. but um, but before we go there a little bit, Let's 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 hit that just a little bit more with those reluctant teachers, with those ones who are a little bit resistant. You're right. You know, I, I told every um, every you know young administrator that I I worked with, every administrative intern that I had. You know, it's not the kids that are going to get you. It's going to be those those challenging adults because adult behaviors are adult behaviors for, for whatever reason. Also, a topic we're not going to chase on today's show, but. What, what's maybe like one or two of those things? You just had a whole lot of people's ears perk up when you said, you know, working with the reluctant teachers. Give them a strategy or two. What works to help get you in the door?
1: I have to give a shout out to someone who I follow on YouTube. Uh, he's, he's built a brand around not just creating content, but specifically creating online courses. His name is Graham Cochran. He said something in a video that he produced two years ago, but I just saw it for the first time. He said, you're not selling information, you're selling transformation. And I guess to put that in, to, to put a spin on it, that brings it back to our work as educators and as leaders. It's more like you're supporting people by not just giving them information, but providing a transformation. And so the idea is not to just tell teachers what to do. And as a coach or or even a school leader, um, it's bad practice really to go in thinking that you have all the answers or at least leading people to believe that you think you have all the answers it's so much more powerful to let them seek out answers for themselves to intrinsically be motivated and and inspired to want to change to want to try something new i've talked a lot before with other school leaders about this idea of taking risks like people it's education it's not life or death if you go out on a on a limb and take a risk what's the worst that can happen and so i think uh, to, i think I, I hope i answered your question correctly um, oh, but yeah. just that idea of of trying to provide more transformation than information and then um, you know like i said just just trying to um, intrinsically inspire whether it be other leaders teachers or students to want to grow and and change and get better and not because you're telling them to or you're giving them all the information and you know basically just doing their jobs for them but really inspiring
0: them to want to do it we will return to the leaning into leadership podcast in just a moment but first let me ask you a question have you ever said to yourself man i should write a book well, if you have, then let me ask you another question. What's holding you back? What keeps you from taking the step that moves you from I have an idea about a book to I am a published author? From experience, I would bet it's probably you're wondering who would even want to read a book that I wrote. Maybe you're questioning the idea. Is it unique enough? Is it valid enough? Is it good enough to be a book worthy of having published? Hey. As a best-selling author myself, I can tell you, most writers have had the exact same feelings at some point in time during their writing journey. Here at Road to Awesome, we believe in cultivating leaders by elevating voices and promoting positivity. And a part of that work is publishing books for educators by educators. Go to roadtoawesome.net and hit the Contact Us button to set up a free, no-obligation conversation about your book idea. Hey, educators, we've all had incredible experiences. We all have amazing stories, and every one of them deserves to be told. Go to RoadToAwesome.net, hit the Contact Us button. Let's have that conversation about your book idea. And now, back to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. As leaders, one of the most important things we could do to Get those doors opened up. Is to develop a culture where taking a risk is acceptable. You know, there's a big difference, and I don't remember if you said this before or after we hit the record button. Um, but we're definitely going to go down that this rabbit hole, and that's the difference between you know those cultures of of taking risk, those those cultures of innovation and. Those cultures of compliance. Um, actually, now I do remember you talked about compliance when when talking about the whole, um, uh, the yeah, whole of evaluation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but you know, and to me, I've said this, I've said this thousands of times. To me, compliance is the enemy of innovation. So again, I think what I, what I'm hearing you say is, as leaders, if we just create environments and cultures where it's okay to take a risk without fear of repercussion, that, that helps open up the door. Is that, am I capturing that right?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And and I've seen it with students probably more than teachers. Um, I helped inspire a teacher to bring Genius Hour projects into the classroom a handful of years ago. And the way that, that we pitched it to students was we asked them, like, how often is it that you are the one to actually choose what you're going to learn about in your classes, and of course none of them said oh yeah i've I've done that before. they were like what you, you got you can't be serious like we've never done that, so um you know, why not do that with teachers too? I know you you mentioned compliance again, I think we talked about that before we hit record, but yeah it's it's so stifling to think that you have to uh, you know, that you're on a scope and sequence where you have to get certain things done in a certain order and at a certain time, and you can't take too much time because then you veer off course and you never get back and you can't finish things on time. But if there is any flexibility uh, and creativity and autonomy that teachers can have in the classrooms with their students to at the very least unlock some of their creativity I was, I was going gonna to say unlock their potential, with that like. I was virgin. kind of
0: waiting for you to, yeah. yeah. Get, too get a, little, a little bit right. of Brandon Beck dropped in here. All We're right. Gonna, here we go. Shout yeah. out
1: to Dr. Brandon Beck. We're going to unlock their <laughs> unlimited potential in the classroom. Um, and, you know, I am a big proponent of student content creation, it's something that I'm really passionate about myself in terms of the content that I create. And I love seeing students do that. And especially that we're trying to give them more opportunities to not just create content that only their teacher or maybe other students in the class will see, but really publish it to a more broader or global audience. And uh, I don't know if that answers your question too much, but um, that's that's a lot of what I like to see. And, And when I talk about teachers taking risks and I guess I mean students as well, it goes for the leaders, too if there are opportunities for school and district leaders to bring more of that into the classrooms in their schools and their districts, like I'm, I'm urging you, I'm begging you. I really feel like students not only need it, I feel like they're ready for it. I feel like students are ready for those kind of opportunities more than the educators are. And if we're not meeting them where they're at, I think we're going to lose them. And, and I'm guessing you've seen examples of that as well over the years. Like sometimes you lose students because they're just not into it. But if we can, right. if we can give those opportunities to them, I really think it'll benefit everyone, teachers, students, everyone.
0: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I, I think the same thing is true at that staff level. You know, if we're giving opportunities for staff to learn at their own pace, again, if, if as leaders we're not meeting our staff where they are, how in the world can we look them in the eye and say, you need to meet your kids where they are? I mean, let's, let's just be straight about that. You know, the one-size-fits-all doesn't fit in a classroom, and it no longer fits with professional development for staff, and and neither does it for for leaders, to be honest with you. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a big part of why, you know, now I'm doing the work I'm doing with coaching leaders and leadership teams. Everything has to be customized because everybody is at a different place. And Mm -hmm. if we're going to really do our job the right way and really have an impact, um, really, as I love to say, change the world one conversation at a time, we got to be willing to look at where everybody is along that continuum. So with that, I'm going to jump back and forward all at the same time to the point that we were we were kind of getting to with you know you having your dissertation focusing on overcoming teacher resistance my dissertation was focused on the perceptions that early career principals had of their own skills specific to organizational management and instructional leadership the key elements here are going to be instructional leadership that we want to talk about so I'm going to go back to your YouTube channel <laughs> And on your YouTube channel, there's a great video. You shared it with me a little over a week ago about our principals, or our administrators, I think is is the title you use in there, our administrators, really instructional leaders. Talk about the motivation yeah. behind it, and then let's dive into this conversation because it's such a great conversation.
1: Yeah, I'd be lying if I if I said that uh, my experience as a school administrator and leaving that position to go back to being an instructional coach didn't have a lot to do with creating that that content. But uh, frankly, uh, you know, and, and I know that you've seen the same research out there, but there's research that says that only about twelve percent of the time that school administrators, principals spend is in that area of instructional leadership. So you think about 88% of the rest of their time is doing what? It's some of the stuff that we've already talked about. It's fielding phone calls and dealing with student discipline. Lots of meetings It's a lot of things that take administrators away from that boots on the ground type work that would really keep them grounded and and more knowledgeable of what's really happening in classrooms. And then if you take that 12% of the time that's actually spent on instructional leadership, only a fraction of that is spent doing what I would call like heavy Instructional leadership. We call it in, in the instructional coaching world, we call it heavy coaching versus light coaching. Sometimes principals do light instructional leadership. They think that getting out of their office and being visible is Instructional leadership, just being in classrooms is enough and it's not. And the reason why we've already said it is compliance. What they're actually doing is checking up on things. They're checking up on students. They're checking up on teachers. Why? They want to see if they're doing the right thing. They want to know what they're doing, which I think in some ways is a sound coaching practice, it's a sound leadership practice. But not if it's only a fraction of your time and not if it's not really um, targeted and and like laser focused on some aspect of school culture, instruction, whatever. So you got 12 percent of a school administrator time spent on instructional leadership. And only part of that time is that heavy leadership. What does that involve? Actually meeting with teachers, whether it's through the evaluation process or not, to really provide support and feedback, which I think is something that is really missed in uh, instructional leadership in general, whether it's coming from administrators or not, maybe, you know, coaches too. Um, and, And really letting them know, you know, again, meeting them where they're at, right? Talking to them openly and honestly about where they're at and where they'd like to go. Uh, and and it's just not done enough by school leaders. And I, I don't want anyone listening or watching this to be insulted. I'm not talking about you necessarily. But overall, based on research and based on personal experience as well over 17 years of my career, I just uh, see in so many cases that administrators, principals and assistant principals especially, just don't have the opportunities enough to really be what you would call an instructional leader.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I I think it's not that they don't want to be. I think that's a very important statement here. It's not that principals and assistant principals don't want to be instructional leaders. You know, I don't think anybody ever signed up to be an administrator because they love going to meetings. Nobody ever said, I want to do that. Nobody said, hey, I can't wait to do discipline nine hours a day. Nobody wants to do that. The truth is administrators want to be in classrooms. They want to be sitting down and having conversations with teachers around instructional strategies that are working around. Maybe some things that, you know, they see as the outside observer of, you know, hey, have you thought about this or, you know, Help me, help me, you know, a little bit with what you were thinking with this particular choice. I thought it was a great choice. I'm just curious why you selected this particular strategy, or, you know, maybe you saw this or maybe you saw that. Whatever, it's having those conversations. Um, that's that's really where that that instructional leadership comes in. And I mean, I, I definitely have some tips on that. We're going to get to that in a couple of minutes for, from both of us on how how administrators can actually go from that 12% up to, you know, maybe a lot higher percentage of their time being focused on the instructional leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but let's, let's dig just a little bit deeper in in this particular area. Um, What were some of the things in your time as a school administrator? Uh, You kind of touched on a few, but, but what were a couple of those things that just really hampered your ability to get into classrooms, and not just get into classrooms, because let's, let me make this statement really quick. If administrators are just going into classrooms, and they think just, you know, going and doing this, you know, casual walkthrough thing without feedback, without sitting and having a conversation, checking boxes and sticking them in a mailbox is not feedback. Um, well, it is, but it's not very good. Um, if, if we're not doing that, and having the intentional conversations after that, it's it's really not instructional leadership. Yeah, it counts in the 12%, but I don't think it's very good. What were the things that kept you from getting out and being able to do the heavy instructional leadership that that you talked about?
1: Uh, I mean, first and foremost, by far, was student discipline. And... Um, I would find myself. So let me take you back uh, a little bit over a year. Uh, believe it or not, we're still only about a year removed from still uh, taking, you know, doing temperature checks and going through some COVID protocols. So my day as an assistant principal would start.
0: Every administrator in the entire world just shuddered when you said that. Yeah, by the way,
1: like I know. Remember that it. it Sometimes oh, now, maybe it seems like it's um, a while ago, but it was just last year. We were st- I was still scanning uh, kids' temperatures on the way into school. So my day would start with our students lined up to get their temperatures scanned and wait to enter the building. And sometimes there would be discipline issues that would happen before school as kids were online waiting to get their temperatures scanned. And I, I knew it just... The pattern was was created early on last year, where pretty much once I got into the school building, almost every day there will already be some discipline issues waiting for me. Um, and you know, I did lunch duty, and then after lunch duty, there'd always be some discipline issues that I to, that I'd have to deal with. Um, that's that definitely sucked up a lot of my time. And as I've mentioned before, uh, just not a lot of support there when it came to whether it be school counselors or or other support staff to. Uh, help manage that a little bit better. Um, there were there were some meetings, um, but it was it was a lot of student discipline. And um, the other thing too, and I I, I didn't necessarily um, get into this too much, but due to a bit of a certification issue, uh, I wasn't actually during the time that I was an assistant principal, I wasn't yet able to actually evaluate teachers, which was really disappointing because. I felt like that could have been an opportunity for me to more formally say, you know what, like like you were saying before, Darren, I got to leave the student discipline aside for now. The school's not on fire. Let me, you know, finish out my time, spend some time in this classroom, do my evaluation, whatever. But the rest of the stuff's got to wait. I didn't really I wasn't afforded that luxury. Um, Otherwise, things might have been a little different. But I want to kind of take that and run with it for a second because when I was an administrator prior and I did have evaluative power, um, I started to – and I don't want to claim to be the expert. I only did this for about a year, Uh, but I really felt like I started to get pretty good at using the evaluation process with teachers as an opportunity to kind of – bring forward my instructional coaching abilities and to actually start to really practice what I preach in terms of being a school administrator who is an instructional leader. So there was a time in my career where I was doing that and I think getting pretty good at it. Um, And so I I think to answer your overall question, and I believe you asked this in your blog post and kind of response to, to my content, should School administrators be instructional leaders and are there times when they can be, despite all the things that are on their plate and everything that takes them away from it, a hundred percent. And and even if you can't find a lot of time to do it, there there are opportunities for you to do it. And I think the evaluation process should be one of them. So taking opp- uh, taking the opportunity... To use the evaluation as not a compliance system where you have to catch people doing right or wrong, but as an opportunity to really allow them the chance to, like we said already, be intrinsically motivated and inspired to want to grow in their practice. I, that's That's a huge opportunity that I'm just gonna say it is wasted in a lot of cases with a lot of school administrators, when um, they just don't necessarily see that kind of opportunity. It's more of what you said, where it's checking boxes, right? It's feedback, but it's not really good feedback.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, so I want to, I want to just build on that a little bit. So um, obviously, you know, I, I, I coach quite a few people and, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with administrators, you know, not only, Uh, through this work, but then also, you know, having been a a high school principal, having been a superintendent. And I think sometimes, as, as administrators, and I mean, push back if you feel differently, I'm totally cool with that. Um, I think that there are those times where a little bit of imposter syndrome will kick in. Um, And I I don't know, um, actually, let me ask you this question really quick, and I'll continue my thought. Prior to going into instructional coaching and that type of stuff, what was it that you taught? What grade level? What content? What was what was your subject area?
1: So I've always been at the middle school level. Uh, most of my teaching expertise and experience was at the eighth grade level as an ELA teacher. Um, but I also did some intervention work and and um, was ki- I've kind of worked with all three middle school grades. But most of my yeah. experience as a classroom teacher as an ELA teacher.
0: Yeah. So that's perfect. So, so I'm going to just kind of build from there. So middle school teacher, let's say, let's, let's say I was, well, I was a middle school teacher, but, but I also taught at the high school level, but maybe there's an administrator who, you know, taught, taught middle school, maybe sixth grade. Now they're at a high school level. And one of the teachers they're evaluating is teaching honors or AP calculus. And there's, there's a little bit of intimidation factor there. Maybe, um, maybe the administrator was a physical education teacher, a special education teacher, a non-core subject area teacher, an art teacher. Um, sometimes I think, and again, I'm speculating here because I was I was a middle and high school science teacher, so yes, I was in quote a core area. Um, first off, I don't believe that that's a limiting factor, but I do think people perceive it as a limiting factor, and yes, maybe there there is a limit of confidence of, you know, how do I go and evaluate, you know, well, I'll flip it over, high school science guy, how do I go and evaluate a band instructor? You know, I mean, yes, great teaching is great teaching. But for me, there were times where band, drama, um, industrial arts, you know, I'm not going to tell them how to, you know, handle small engine repair. But I should be able to go in with the confidence around good good instructions good instruction and I can help with instructional strategies. I I think I went a little bit off track on my point, but I'm wondering my my question for you is do you think that there are some of those imposter syndrome pieces that that climb in for some administrators. Did, I mean, I, you know, for you as a middle school language arts teacher, did, did, did you feel any of that or am I yeah. just way off base because it is a no, Friday I'm, afternoon. I, who I think that's a great, I think it's a great
1: point. Um, I would say I didn't personally, I didn't feel as much of that imposter syndrome as an administrator, as I did when I was first an instructional coach. Um, but I could totally see that because I did feel it. Um, it's funny, you brought up the band thing. I'm at technically certified to teach music too. So that's actually a subject area that I would feel confident in, in terms of supporting uh, music teachers, as well as ELA teachers, of course. Um, but yeah, when, when I first became an instructional coach and I was coaching, uh, teachers in all content areas, I of course had that and I've talked about it a lot. As a matter of fact, I've created other YouTube videos too, around what imposter syndrome is and ways to overcome it. Um, little, little shout out for my YouTube channel. Again, uh, look me up, Dr. Dan Krinas on, on YouTube. Um, but definitely given the imposter syndrome that I felt early on as a, as a coach, like you said, having to coach teachers, support teachers in all content areas when my expertise and experience is only in one or maybe two, it's, it is tough. Um, It's something that I, that I haven't thought a ton about to be honest with you uh, in terms of school administrators, because I didn't necessarily feel that way when I first became an administrator, but I can, like I said, remember very much that I felt that way a lot as a new coach. And so I would 100% at this point agree that as a new administrator, people might feel like an imposter when it comes to, you know, who am I that my experience has been in whatever subject that's been in my entire career. And now I got to work with teachers in other subjects. Um, and, and you said like good instruction is good instruction, but I, I don't know that, that that necessarily solves the problem of like, well, what are you going to do about your imposter syndrome? You know, yeah, you know, right. good instruction, but how are you going to overcome the fact that you're feeling really awkward about working with a family and consumer science teacher who, teaches like baking and you're like, yeah, I don't cook. I don't bake. Like, how am I going to, but again, I I really,
0: yeah, the food's good. Must be, (laughs) must've been a good lesson. Right. Yeah. But I I, I don't know. I can't stress
1: enough again, the importance of um, appealing to the teacher through that evaluation process, through that kind of instructional leadership and coaching to basically partner with them Versus just evaluating them and just looking for that compliance, but like learn from them as well. And uh, I don't know. That's like the lifelong learner in me. Just I'm I'm always looking for learning opportunities and experiences. And it's like if I don't know a subject area well enough, that doesn't mean I can't support someone as as an instructional leader. Uh, but it does mean that I would love to learn more about it. And and we could definitely delve into. What worked and what didn't in your classroom, even if I don't know the subject matter nearly as well as you do, that's definitely something that we could do. So um, I agree with you. I think, yes, it's it's real that imposter syndrome does exist or can exist, but um, there are definitely ways to overcome it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think you just hit it on the head. You just absolutely that's, – that's the biggest gold nugget so far uh, in this episode is – I don't have to know the subject area well and that's probably one of the biggest limiting factors actually for administrators is feeling like well if i'm going to evaluate or give feedback i need to know this really really well But that's not necessarily true i mean a great coach is going to give feedback on what they see and ask good questions and when we flip the paradigm of evaluation truly into more of a coaching type of thing versus a gotcha type of thing all of a sudden, the, you know, I don't understand this particular piece of, of calculus. <laughs> well, in truth, I don't understand any bit of calculus. That doesn't matter. You know, I can give feedback on, you know, a strategy or a move or a decision that was made during the class and just simply ask a question and we can learn together. I think that's that's absolutely huge. You know, I have an example to share. Um, Go
1: ahead. I'm a pretty big sports fan, not necessarily basketball. But in situations like this, I think about Eric Spolstra, who I think he's still the coach. He, he, he became the head coach of the Miami Heat back in yeah. the days when LeBron James was on the team and Dwayne Wade and I think Chris Bosh, too. Yep. And Eric Spolstra, to my knowledge, my understanding, prior to becoming a head coach, was some kind of coordinator in that uh, in, in the Miami Heat franchise to where he led the the videotape room like when when players would watch videotape back or coaches would use videotape to study their opponents and things like he ran that, that aspect of the of the team but then he started actually running the team and here's my point eric spolstra i don't think ever played in the nba and he now had to lead some of the not only some of the top performing individuals in the NBA at that time, but literally some all-time great players. I mean, LeBron is arguably one of, if not the best player ever. Dwayne Wade was pretty darn good. And here's the thing. Yeah. I, I believe that none of them at that point in their careers had won a championship. I, I could be wrong.
0: I but think
1: you correct. Took, when Swolstra took over, they won like right away. And, uh, and, I, and I think about that, and I've thought about that throughout my career, too, when this topic specifically comes up. You don't have to know everything as a leader. And you know what? There are people that you're going to lead who are better teachers than you were when you were in the classroom. And they probably know more about their subject or even the one that you taught more than you. So. Um, You know, understanding that I think will help lose that imposter syndrome to a a degree, but also just understanding like everyone could use a coach, even world-class athletes. And those coaches, like you said, don't have to know everything, don't have to be as experienced or as talented, but they have to know just like – I need to know as an instructional coach, hopefully, or or an administrator as an as an instructional leader, just needs to know how to push the right buttons and how to really tap into, as we said before, like meeting people where they're at, tap into their strengths and weaknesses, and pull that out of them, pull that that greatness out of them, pull that um, that desire to want to learn more and grow out of them. So um, that's my little example, my story that I always think about when it comes to like coaching and supporting people who. Are in, you know, teach other subject areas, maybe better. Te- like, I think I was a pretty good classroom teacher. I know better teachers. I'll be honest, there were definitely better teachers. There were probably teachers who worked harder, right? Probably teachers who built better relationships with their students, although I think I was really good at that. But um, that doesn't stop me from trying to work with other teachers and get them better, you know? So I think at the end of the day, uh, whether it's, Instructional coaching or instructional leadership—it's uh, really, really important to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, coaching is to me one of the most important things. I, I've told my coaching story before here on the podcast, and we won't really dig dig into that. But you know, when when you have that person who can provide that that per, third point perspective, that you know, just a little bit of of a different lens on what's happening. Uh, The professional athletes are are a great example. I mean, you think about, I mean, Roger Federer just retired. And I'm going to tell you, I don't even know if it's an argument other than maybe Serena Williams, who also just retired. Two all-time great tennis players, I will tell you, they would mop the court with their coaches. It was not that their coaches were better than them. That had nothing to do with it. Coaches understood the game extremely well but they understood their athlete extremely well. They knew, like you said, which buttons to push, where to leverage, where to to encourage, where to guide and to be able to just have honest conversations about, well, here's what I see, you know, I'm wondering about what, you know, what are you trying to accomplish here? What are you thinking about that? If we do that when we're coaching our teachers, That's an incredibly powerful thing. And I'm going to take it one step further, not only because it's the work I do, but because it transformed me. We have to be doing this with leaders too. If we don't have coaches for our leaders, if as a superintendent, you don't have a coach, why not? If as a principal, you don't have a coach, why not? You want to hit that highest level of performance? The coach is what gets you there. Now, mm-hmm. that was a little bit of a, a rant on my end, but I just believe in coaching that much. And, and you said everybody could benefit from a coach. So you lit the fuse. I'm I'm just going to say this one's on you, Dan.
1: No, I, listen, I, I just said before, too, that, you know, even through like an evaluation process, uh, both parties can learn a lot like. I'm taking things out of uh, this conversation as well as the other conversations we've had of late, you know, one on my podcast and a couple of side conversations. Um, I, and, I, and I keep going back to that advice that I've heard recently about it's not it's not about selling the information. It's about the transformation. So, you know, if coaches or leaders don't feel like they have enough information, that could make them feel that uh, imposter syndrome feel inferior. Right. But Understanding that it's more about that transformation, getting that teacher to grow. Like if you grow through the process, it's great too. You know, maybe you can learn some things, but getting them to learn and grow and, and, um, and transform is ultimately, that's the goal.
0: That's just awesome. I love that so much. So let's let's dive into the final question here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Same question I ask every guest here on the podcast. You've hit a whole lot of things here, but Dan, let's just let's just go right at it. How right now are you leaning into leadership?
1: So um, right now I'm leaning into leadership by. Honestly, like I said before, um, really working with, well, you know, I, I guess I do a lot of different things, but I'm, I'm really trying to, I th- and I think, uh, Darren, we're, we're really similar with this too, but to really try and inspire other educators to realize their leadership potential. Um, it's, it's so much of what I do in my work as a podcaster and, and content creator. Um, but it's it's work that I really enjoy doing in my school too. Um, basically letting anyone know that they're a leader. I, I end every one of my podcast episodes by saying that no matter who you are or where you are, you're a leader of learning. And I, and I mean that, I call it label-less leadership because um, you're a school leader, of course you're a leader. You're an instructional coach. Of course you're a leader. You're a classroom teacher. Of course you're a leader. You're leading students. You're leading the next generation of leaders. And um, and I think you and I have talked about this before too. Ultimately, uh, I would like to think that I'm leaning into leadership by embodying this, but also inspiring this in others to say that you're a leader if you're creating other leaders, right? And so... Uh, that work is not the easiest work either, but the more that you can try and do that, then I think the better off we're all going to be because it's, it's multiplying your own impact into others and then more. And so it's like a snowball effect, hopefully after that. But I, I, I truly believe, again, not to sound too cliche that leaning into leadership for me means trying to create other leaders and so they can create more leaders, you know, and, and, um, I don't take that work work lightly either you know i i really do go into my day-to-day job you know my day-to-day work my day job um with that in mind and certainly with uh all of the side hustle stuff that i do the podcast the youtube channel that's that's so much of what i like to to preach and and really tout in those those different avenues
0: that's fantastic man thanks so much for that um how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out and uh, just continue the conversation?
1: I appreciate that a lot. Uh, the website is leaderoflearning.com. That's where the podcast, the blog, the online courses, everything is there. Um, YouTube channel you can find on there as well as as, as well as uh, subscribing to my email newsletter as far as social media goes. I'm pretty much at Dr. Krinus everywhere. So it's at Dr. Underscore Krinus, which has the E before the I, and it's not after C. It always trips people up, but it's K-R-E-I-N-E-S-S, and you can see that right there. Anyway, there um, yeah, I'm pretty much at, at Dr. Krinus, Dr. underscore Krinus everywhere.
0: I'll put all of that stuff in the show notes too, folks. So it's easy for you to find, um, and you can look all you want. You won't find a C in Krinus. Um, so, so you can just, uh, just go right from there. Dan, thanks so much for joining me on the leaning into leadership podcast, man. Have a wonderful weekend. Thanks so much. I'm grateful. I had that conversation with Dr. Krinus and was able to share it with each of you. When I reflect back on the first time I watched that YouTube video that he shared that administrators are not instructional leaders, I went in with this mindset that well I'm going to prove him wrong. And the more I watched and the more that I really paid attention to what Dan was saying, the more I agreed with him. It's not that school leaders don't want to be instructional leaders. It's that there's so many demands on their time that it makes it very difficult for them to be the instructional leaders that they want to be. So thank you so much Dan for for coming on for talking a little bit more about that. We'll have to have Dr. Krinas back on the show a little bit later on to maybe take that conversation a little bit further but now it's time for a pep talk and in today's pep talk I want to take that conversation just a little bit further and talk about how as school leaders we can really get to or at least close the gap on being the instructional leaders that we want to be folks it all comes back to being intentional What you focus on, what you believe in, what you really truly value is what you're going to spend your time on. It's easy to get pulled into firefighter mode. There's always a crisis waiting for you. The question is, are you going to wait for the crisis or are you going to take control of your time and take control of the work that you do? Let me give you four things that you can do right now as you go into your coming week or in the week you're currently in to start spending more time being an instructional leader. Number one, make it a priority. If it is a priority, if it's something you truly, truly believe in and want to make happen, you'll find the time and do so by putting it on your calendar. Not just the evaluations, not just the walkthroughs, but those deep conversations around feedback from when you do evaluations and walkthroughs. Number two, ensure that others know that it's your priority. And specifically, I'm talking about the other folks who work in the office with you, whether that's your secretaries, your counselor, your assistant principals, they need to know that your priority is being in the classrooms. In other words, train them around how and when to interrupt you and when to leave you alone. Just because a kid comes in the office does not mean everything needs to stop and you come running back in work on a system so that there's great communication and great understanding around your priorities so you can focus on being the instructional leader first number three do the heavy coaching i love how dr krain talked about this the difference between light coaching and heavy coaching the heavy coaching is not about compliance it's about getting in deep talking about instructional strategies, talking about standards, talking about the art and the science of teaching with your teachers. Learn alongside them, which takes us to number four, and that's, hey, be vulnerable. Be willing to learn with your teachers. Just because you're the principal or just because you're the superintendent or assistant superintendent or whatever title you hold, that doesn't mean you have to know more than them. It just simply means you are the person who's going to set aside the time to coach, guide, grow, and support them. Spend your time doing those four things and you can become the instructional leader that you want to be. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Get out there and have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.